Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back. And now on the line, we have the uh, author, uh, Stefan Howe, uh, all the way from Denmark. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us on the phone. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. So, Stefan, you've um, written a couple of uh, books that really uh, caught my eye um, in the true crime world, and um, I find them very interesting. How did you get into writing uh, these types of books uh, in this field? Um, I guess it all goes back to uh, almost 20 years ago. I was working at a daily newspaper in Denmark, and my field was actually uh, covering uh, crime. Um, uh, often I went to the court, I sat in and I listened to all these um, different cases going through. I would be on the line with law enforcement every day and so on. And when you do that as a journalist um, on a daily newspaper, you do it in a very brief manner, so to speak. You really get into the facts of what happened, what will happen next what was the outcome and so on. What I never really got into was writing about all the things that happened 
prior to the crimes and so on, and therefore decided um, to eventually dig a bit deeper uh, when covering these cases. And I decided to give it a, a more in-depth um, uh, angle towards the victims and so on, instead of, you know, only having a few sentences to, to describe an entire case. Uh, today I find it fascinating having an entire book uh, to cover these uh, true crime cases. So that is why I, as an overall, um, is in the field of true crime. Um, but I'm also in the field of true crime in the way that the way I write, it is not really bloody in the way uh, that I go in and, and describe actually how um, a crime was committed and so on. I believe that today crimes are, has such a huge, huge impact on society, no matter if you live in, in the United States of America or if you're in Denmark or anywhere else in the world. So I think that you also need to pay the professionalism and, and um, the seriousness when dealing with, uh, with true crime as you would do with many other topics because it has a huge impact on, on, on society and uh, your neighbor next door, so to speak. Now, your first book, I believe, is called The Deprived, and it's The Innocent on Death Row. Um, now, that's where you uh, have 10 interviews, or it's based on 10 interviews with 10 Americans who have been affected by the wrongful convictions and on the death penalty. So, first of all, how did you take on that subject, and how did you choose the 10 cases you wanted to talk about? <clears throat> It actually goes back to 2015 when I released a book um, in Denmark. Uh, it, it, it only came out in, in, in Danish. But with this book, I looked in to the 10 challenges of society that Americans viewed as being the most important uh, challenges to society. Uh, it would be poverty. It would be in general, social uh, inequality, illegal immigration, uh, racism, and so on. Uh, and, and one of these topics was uh, injustice for the law. So I set out to uh, interview different Americans that had been affected by injustice, not only on death row, but, but in many ways. But I was doing one story. Um, with a guy who had been on uh, death row for 22 years for a crime that he had never committed. And he was actually the first um, person in America to um, try to, to seek his exoneration by using DNA evidence. And I met him in a posh restaurant on uh, Sunset Boulevard, um, which was totally opposite, both from the world that I come from, but also what he came from and where he had been for 22 years. So I imagine that when he walked into this restaurant, he would more or less be uh, crawling uh, along the walls, uh, beaten and broken after, you know, uh, 22 years on death row for a crime he didn't do, or he would be a hardened, brutal criminal. But when I met him, he was um, neither. 
he was a very loving, kind, and well-articulated man who had spent these 22 years in, in prison uh, educating himself. And I was so surprised that he was actually able to show other people the affection and kindness and justice that society couldn't provide for him over these two decades, um, that I decided that I wanted to see if that was something that was unique to him, or if that was actually something that, a label, if I may use that expression, that you could put on other exonerees as well. And I went through different types of um, uh, death row cases uh, that involved uh, wrongful convictions. And I decided that I would look into a case that would deal with, as an example, uh, false testimonies. But I would also look into a case that would deal with a teenager being put on death row. I would look into how it would be to be a woman on death row and so on. So I put different themes into these cases. And that's more or less one of the ground criteria for how I decided on the cases that I was going to go with. Um, and, and, and in this book, as I do in my new book, Moms of the Missing, as well, I don't want to write 10, 12 cases that are similar, where you just change the names and the crimes. I want to put different themes and that's just, you know, briefly to go back, as I said before, the way that I like to work with true crime is that I like to see this as a, a topic of huge importance to, to society, as many other social issues. And therefore, you know, I try to get 360 degrees uh, around the subjects. Um, and, 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 and that was actually how uh, I started my work with the, the deprived. Um, which I think, especially to the American society, is a very important book because not many people realize that it's estimated that probably 150,000 Americans, they are in prisons for crimes they never committed. And when I talk about this subject and, and, and this book, which was my first book to come out in, in America, I always tell people, because they think, oh, everyone in, uh, in, in, in prison, they're innocent. No, naturally they're not. But there are thousands of Americans that are actually moms and dads, brothers and sisters, who left their homes in the morning to go to work. But they happen just to be um, at the wrong place at the wrong time. Or they became uh, victims of other people's evil uh, acts when they actually claimed or, and testified to them being killers that they never were. They were moms and dads when they left in the morning, and they should have come home as moms and dads in the evening. Um, one of the cases that I looked into with this book is a horrible case from uh, Ohio. It has actually become a very famous case in, in, in America because three teenagers they were put on death row and they spent 38 years before they were exonerated of having killed a salesman uh, by shooting him in, in, in the streets of uh, Cleveland. And the only thing that put them 
in prison and, and on death row to begin with was the testimony of a 12-year-old boy. And this 12-year-old boy, he gave a testimony that the rest of his classmates would actually tell were not true. And the police, law enforcement, they knew this, but they were so keen on getting a verdict that they didn't care about the truth. They went with the testimony of a 12-year-old boy, and it was not so this 12-year-old boy. He became a 50-year-old man who was lying in his hospital bed, feeling guilty. And therefore, he asked for his priest, and once the priest arrived, he said, I did something horrible 38 years ago. I put three innocent men on, on death row. And you know, these were three um, kids going to high school without any previous you know, criminal record. Um, so in, 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 in that aspect, I use, or, or, or I like to use my journalism um, to put focus on, to me at least, very important topics and by doing so, giving the victims a voice. Because when dealing with the wrongful convicted, you're often dealing with people who do not have the means to protect themselves, to get the legal aid they deserve. And again, you know, everyone in prison, they are naturally innocent. At least that's what they say. And if you step forward and say, hey, I'm innocent, I never did that crime, it would be like a story repeating itself. But unfortunately in thousands of these cases it's true and i help, like to help along some of these cases by putting focus on them now you <laughs> took 10 american cases um uh, do you find this goes on in europe as much no it? no it doesn't no um i was actually i had a funny um conversation with a colleague last week because every time I do interviews about uh, this, um, American uh, reporters, hosts, and so on, they ask me, uh, but why don't you write about it in Denmark? And I always reply, because I do not know of one single case of a innocent person um, being put to prison for years and years and then released, proven innocent later on. And I've been given that statement that I've never heard of a single case in Denmark. But last week, a colleague of mine actually reminded me that back in the 80s, back in the 80s, we had a case in Denmark of a person who was actually um, convicted of a crime that he hadn't committed. And that is the only case that I know of in my 44 years of living and uh, I've spent more than 20 of these 44 years as a reporter. And I think that there are some clear reasons for that. But one thing is, <clears throat> I'm sure that in, in Denmark, prosecution is just as keen on letting the innocent go as the defenses. And I'm so happy that in Denmark, you can be elected for a job as a sheriff. Mm -hmm. You can be elected for prosecution. You can be elected as a public defender. You earn that title 
by the talent, the justice, and the skills that you have. But that also means that you can make your way to the sheriff's office or to become a prosecutor, public defender, anything like that, by showing off your record book, so to speak. And I think it in a Western democracy, I think it represents a danger, actually. If you are on election for a public job, a public office in that this way, because I'm not saying that that goes for all um, DAs, but, you know, you'll find within all certain branches, you'll find people who does not live up to the morality they should. And if you get a high number of convictions, if you get the verdicts that the public ear wants to hear, then you're more likely to be elected. But there should be no such thing when it comes to justice. If you're a bad guy, you should go and do your time. And I'm actually the kind of guy who says, if you do a brutal crime, you should be punished so that you actually feel it. And it should scare other people off from doing it. Um, but one thing is sure, you should never go to prison because someone wants to get elected. And you should definitely never go to prison because the justice system really doesn't care about how it treats its own people. So I was going to ask in Denmark then, why um, why would you say think the prosecutor um, wants the, the criminal or the person charged uh, to be um, let go as much as the defense? Like what... Is it just the way that they they think, or what? What is that? No, I don't, I, you know, <laughs> um, it's very unfair to answer a question with a question. But you know, I almost feel like asking you, why not? Why would you, as a prosecutor, have any intention of putting a person in prison if you didn't know for sure? that this person was 110% guilty. Yeah. Because it all comes back to you as a, as a citizen within this society. You know, you have the benefit of the, of the doubt still proven guilty. And that should go for anyone. Because, you know, actually down the line, the guy on trial with a, pardon my French, with a rotten prosecutor, that could be your son. That could be your nephew. That could be your wife, and so on. So it is in the interest of the society to treat everyone fair and equal and with the benefit of the doubt. And then that's another step. It's also about education. There's a lot of these innocent projects that actually work closely together with law enforcement and actually teaching law enforcement about some of the flaws that they commit, but also some of the angles that they may not do realize exist when they're so keen on, you know, getting the verdict. And there's one thing that I always, and also touch base on this in, in the deprived, and that is, how can it ever be in the interest of a prosecutor or society putting an innocent man or woman in prison knowing 
that if an innocent man goes to prison, then the criminal will actually keep on walking the, the, the streets, probably committing new crimes and so on. There's a story in the book about a young man. He was 21 years old when he was put in Angola uh, for killing his um, a family member, a uh, 16-year-old um, uh, cousin. And, you know, he never did, and he was released by the use of DNA evidence 15 years later. And one thing that he says that is troubling him today is that he knows that the guy who actually killed his uh, family member is probably still out there. And who knows if this person has committed any other crimes just as serious as this. So it is in the interest of everyone, no matter which side of the table you're on, that we put the guilty people in prison and that we make sure they stay there so they do not repeat their crimes, but still also let the innocent moms and dad come home to their families in the evening. So, so overall, you're, you're saying that when um, we elect officials in the prosecutor sort of field, um, it, mm-hmm. it kind of changes the way that they do their job, maybe? Not in all cases. And, and it, you know, we need to be fair and do just to uh, the 99.9% of all law enforcement and people working with it in this field as prosecutors and so on, who goes to, to work every day, they do their job as they should. We should be fair to them and say, that goes for the main part of it. But there, you know, there, there, there will always be within a system like that a few who doesn't care. They think about getting reelected and so on. And hopefully it's a minority. But when your track records will put you in or out of office, then there's a huge danger that some people will actually turn the blind eye to what's reality, and focus on their next career movement. Um, I think that, you know, if if you're doing this kind of job, again, as a public defender or as a prosecutor, it should be based on your skills. Mm -hmm. So do you you feel like uh, the people who are, um, you say, they have it in their mind that they are looking to be reelected. Do you think that's a conscious thing with them, or maybe just uh, could it be an unconscious bias that they have just as a result of being in the system? I've looked into so many cases, and the way that people normally convicted of crimes they didn't commit is based on misconduct within law enforcement and prosecution. That is the main reason for people going to jail. I think that that fact supports that they are within the justice system, people who are more keen on just getting the verdict than getting the right verdict. Mm -hmm. Or at least they're not really doing their job as probably or, or as probably as they should. And that is, you know, a fact that that is the main reason for putting in some people in in jail and prisons. Um, And if we take it that step further, there are 
so many cases in the U.S. where prosecution has withheld evidence that could have freed people right away or that could have cleared them before they had their verdict. One of these cases in, in, in the deprived is about, is about a man, a young man, Derek Jameson, who was sentenced to die. And he actually had his execution date six times. The last time he had a stay, 90 minutes before he's going to go uh, to the execution chamber. When he was finally exonerated, it turned out that prosecution had had 36 pieces of evidence that would have proven his innocence almost two decades before he was exonerated. Mm. So now, you, uh, now you've just released a book uh, called Mums of the Missing, and it's Living the Nightmare. Um, so what, what's the um, intention of this book, and, and kind of what, what did you write this one about? The book is about um, mainly child abductions, and uh, I like to go 20 years back uh, to tell why I decided on writing this book. Back in 2001, I was working as a young um, journalist looking into human trafficking. And back then, in 2001, this was actually a new type of crime that authorities, they were not so familiar with. And even within the European Union, human trafficking was only something that they had briefly heard about, and they had a sense that we need to become aware of this. There was so one thing that was sure, and that was that after the Civil War, that more or less ended in 99 when NATO uh, bombed Serbia, and it was a region that the Balkans in general, the, the Balkans in general was a region that was a mecca to criminals because there was no law and order after the Civil War. And human tra traffickers, they rapidly took advantage of that. And in Belgrade, it was believed that there was almost 200,000 uh, people from China waiting to be trafficked into um, to Europe. So I decided with a colleague to go to, uh, to uh, Serbia and actually try to meet some of these um, um, people waiting to be trafficked into Europe. Because back then we need to know, why is it that you actually want to come into Europe? How does it happen? What do you pay? You know, all these banal questions that we know the answers to today. And while working in this area where many of these Chinese immigrants, they were forced to labor for the human traffickers, so they decided to bring them into Europe. I went to a uh, mall in um, a part of, uh, of Belgrade, and I went around, around noon, broad daylight, interviewing some of these immigrants, and... Um, too late, I realized that a man came from behind and he grabbed me in a chokehold and he uh, pressed a gun to my timber and, uh, you know, took me away 
from um, from the mall, and uh, this incident it lasted roughly 15 minutes. But the reason for him taking me at gunpoint was to scare me off, as he indicated. If you do not stop looking into human trafficking and our activities, we will end your inquiries for you. Um, in other words, saying if, if, if you don't go back home or, or back off, you know, we'll put a bullet to your, to your head. And when he did that and he took me with a, a another perpetrator from, uh, from the mall, immediately I felt two things. I felt a dead fear that I did not know existed. I hadn't felt it before, and thank God I haven't felt it afterwards. But I also felt alone. I would have given anything to have a person next to me. Uh, it really didn't matter who this person was. It didn't matter if it was a person that I knew or not. The worst thing was being alone with a gun to my head because I was so scared and it was so terrifying knowing that I didn't know that if I was... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm going to be alive five seconds later or not. And I didn't want to be alone in that situation. And this feeling of loneliness reminded me of two cases that I had been working on for the daily newspaper uh, within a year prior to my own incident in, uh, in Belgrade. And one of them was a 10-year-old girl who was abducted from um, the beach, broad daylight as well. She was at the beach with her mom. The mom went swimming briefly in the ocean. But when she came back, probably two minutes later, the 10-year-old daughter was gone. She was taken um, to um, a wood where she was raped and she was choked. And police believe that the only reason why the perpetrator had left this little poor girl in the wood was because he thought that she was already dead. Shortly after, covered another abduction case with a 15-year-old girl who um, had been taken by a man, actually a fairly young man, and held hostage uh, in a rural place, a rural area of Denmark, in like more or less like a, a small shed, where she was raped uh, and held hostage for several days. Before he, for I don't know why, some reason decided to release her, and as soon as she was released, it was fairly easy to track him down and arrest him. But I went to both of these crime scenes and I stood in the wood and I looked at the place where this little girl had been raped and tried to, to, to um, um, be killed. And I went to this shed and uh, I went there a day or two after he had been arrested and I looked into the rooms where she had been held hostage. And both times what really struck me, besides, you know, feeling kind of personal scared being there, was the idea of how alone these two small girls must have felt the minute they were taken, when they were alone. Because I could put it into the context that in 2001, I was turning 26 years old, and, and you guys probably remember what it's like when you're 26 years old. And especially if you're a reporter, then you know you're on top of the world. No one can conquer you or, or uh, you know, you're as strong as the guy on the next corner. But 26-year-old, I felt as a small six-year-old boy, I was so scared that I would never admit it to anyone. Today I've decided to admit it. But imagine how these little kids, they must have felt in that situation. And that, you know, feeling and thought has stuck with me um, for almost 20 years. And I decided to look into um, some of these abduction cases. And in the book, I interview two persons who have actually been abducted and later rescued. Um, and the book starts out with a 13-year-old girl who became victim of um, grooming, online grooming. She was one of the first um, kids in America believed 
to be one of the first kids who was taken by a online predator. She was taken in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, taken for four or five hours to Virginia, where she was being held hostage in a uh, basement. She was being raped, she was being tortured, and she actually um, were told by her her abductor in the morning that he was starting to like her too much. So when he came back from work in the afternoon, uh, he was going to go for a drive with her. Uh, pretty much saying that, you know, you're starting to influence my decision thoughts and so on too much. I need to get rid of you. And at four in the afternoon, she was rescued by FBI. But in the book, I start out by interviewing her about how her abduction happened, how she felt as she sat alone in that car on New Year's Eve, driving away from her parents' house. She left between the main course and dessert because she thought that on the other side of her parents' front door was awaiting another 13-year-old boy that she had been chatting with for months on the internet. But it wasn't a 13-year-old boy. It was a 38-year-old pedophile. And um, I want to start the book with her story because as much as it is possible, I want to describe to the readers what is it actually like for a kid to be so alone and she describes in a I would say very you know it goes straight to both heart and mind but she describes how as a kid being held hostage it's not about the next day it's not about the next hour it's about at the age of 13 years of 13 figuring out how you can please your abductor minute by minute so he doesn't kill you, or so he doesn't torture you. And, and you know, I want to bring people into the mind of a victim, but I also want the book to do a lot of good, because that is actually my main purpose of it. I want to describe how she has restored her life. As she says, something of me as a person was killed in that dungeon as a 13-year-old but it has been possible for me to create another life, though it is another life that I, than the one that I had and another life than, than the one that I wished I had today. Um, but after putting the readers in the mind of a victim, I go into describing the different kinds of um, uh, abduction cases and crimes that our children risk becoming the victims of a stranger abduction, a family-related abduction. Um, what kind of danger does uh, online grooming represent today? Um, you also mentioned about um, people that <clears throat> were taken by strangers, but there's also ones that have been taken by family members, and, and maybe yeah. explain that. Actually, more than uh, 200,000 American kids are every year taken by a family member. And 
when you hear about a family abduction, when you hear that a mom has um, abducted her son or daughter, most people, they were saying, how serious and, and how harmful can this actually be? And what I would like to uh, shed a light on is that it, it's actually quite harmful because if you as a parent need to adopt your kid, it's because in the first place you're not meant to have that kid. There was a reason why you didn't get custody. And in 60% of all these cases, it's actually women who are the abductors of, of the kids. And many of these uh, women, they, prior to the abduction, suffer from abuse. Uh, they suffer from a social background that means they're not capable of taking care of the children and therefore they didn't get custody. So if you as a family abductor suffer from abuse and so on, what life is it actually that you can provide for the kid that you steal from the other parent? And that is the first thing why this is actually a huge problem as well. Next in line is, when you take off with a kid you're not meant to have, you don't send them to school, you don't provide them with the medical care and aid that they often need because you live in hiding. And if you live in hiding, you're not necessarily having a regular job. You don't have a social life. And it turns out that many of these kids being taken by a family member, they never see daylight. They only come out at night where the risk of being discovered is um, fairly small compared to walking the streets uh, at uh, noon. And we don't even have cases of boys and girls being brought up as a different gender than the one they were born as. Uh, so, you know, a boy is actually brought up as a girl, dressed as a girl, mm -hmm. looks like a girl and so on, because it minimizes the risk of being discovered. And, and um, what will it do to a child when you actually born and raised uh, the first five years of your life as a boy and then suddenly you, you need to, to change your, your way of living into being a girl and so on. And we can all imagine and we all know what problems that creates later in life. Um, there's also another, you know, very down-to-earth uh, fact, a very fatal fact, and that is a lot of these kids, they end up being killed in car chases because the main part of all Amber Alerts, they are concerning a family abduction. So there are so many things that indicate that we really need to take these family abductions way more serious than we are today because they do a lot of harm to the kids. And the type of abductions that takes the longest to resolve, that's actually family abductions. Often the kids are brought out of the country, they're brought out of the state, and so on. And it's so difficult for law enforcement to 
solve these cases. And for many reasons, it's also because law enforcement, they sit in the first place and say, mm, why did this mom actually take her kids? What's wrong with the dad? Did he beat her up and so on? No, he didn't. He was actually the one that was supposed to chuck them in at night, and she was not. But, you know, it doesn't start out always as a crime, which it is. It starts out with law enforcement trying to figure out what's actually going on. Does this concern domestic abuse or, or what is it, domestic violence, and, and, and so on. And therefore, these people, these family abductors, they have a great lead before they're actually being investigated and searched for. Um, uh, so therefore, you know, that's one of the things that I, I would like to, you know, also um, shed light on with the book, that, yes, as I started out by saying, how bad can it be if the kid is with a mom or if the kid is with a dad or with an uncle? Well, it can be really, really bad. Uh, and, and, and that is some, one of the main purpose of my book in general. As I said, I describe all types of um, abduction cases. I also describe, you know, um, the danger sex offenders pose. I also describe how DNA can have an impact on preventing and, and, and resolving these crimes. But the main purpose of the book is actually to tell parents that it is possible protecting our kids. It's possible educating and empowering our kids so they're better at protecting themselves. And it gives guidance to what do you actually do if your child is missing? What do you actually do when contacting law enforcement? What do you actually do if you seek help from other parents who have lived this nightmare? But most important, the book describes how when a attempted abduction is evaded, it's actually because the kid fights back. And we always tell our kids, do not hit. And that's the right thing to do when it concerns the kid being in the schoolyard or when it concerns the kid just being a, around people in general. But what does a kid do then if a car pulls up, a man rolls down the window and he says, excuse me, have you seen my little puppy? Or could you please come over to the car because I'm really lost and I'm sure you could help me with directions. How do we teach our kids in the first place that they should never approach a car because, you know, it is just like in the movies. That is the way that most kids are being taken. Um, <clears throat> but also to teach them that if they're actually being grabbed, it's okay to fight back. It's okay to scream. And how do you actually fight back? Because one thing is, it's okay to punch, but how do you punch and so on? There's so many things that we can teach our kids in order for them to protect themselves. And, you know, as an author, you always, let's be honest about it, you always want to sell books. If you do a radio show, you want the listeners 
if you have a donut shop, you want to sell donuts. Let's be honest about that. But I also have to be honest about saying, if this book can help in two aspects, either preventing another kid from being taken because the parents actually did read the book and they had some guidance on how they can talk with the kids about the dangers that actually are outside our doors, uh, then, you know, my entire career is worth it. Uh, the other thing is that the book also deals with a lot of cases of kids that are still missing. And there is a certain thing that's for sure with 99% of all these cases. Someone always knows something. But you and I, we might not know so we become familiar with these cases, that we are the ones who know something. We might read about these cases and say, or look at the picture and say, that surely looks like the kid living next door, and so on. And, and, and that is one of the things with uh, the cases that I'm going through as well. There are cases of, as an example, a 16-year-old girl from Spring, Texas, she steps off the school bus at three in the afternoon on her way home. In April, she's been missing for 10 years. No one has seen this 16-year-old girl. You know, we all know that a 16-year-old girl, she does not vanish. Someone knows something. And it's believed that she was um, taken by human traffickers and that She's probably somewhere in the States today, forced into prostitution, just like 21-year-old Christina Wittiger, uh, who's another case in, in, um, in, in the book. She uh, gave birth six months prior, so she was taken. And we know that because this was the first night that she went out with friends after having given birth to her beautiful daughter. And she never came home. Law enforcement, they believe that she's been taken out of Missouri and today is forced into prostitution in, um, in Illinois. They actually suspect that for 10 years, and this would be on the 14th of November this year, then she's been missing for 10 years. And, you know, just, you know, briefly saying something, her daughter was six months old when the mom was taken. For 10 years, she has never seen her mom. That is so horrible, especially with the almost certain fact that she was taken by human traffickers, only thinking about one thing, making money, forcing this poor mom into prostitution. And human trafficking is becoming such a great problem to the American society today. And it's becoming a great problem to the entire world. Because you can only sell drugs once. And in many cases, you can only sell a gun once. But a person you can sell again and again and again. I'm not too keen on, you know, giving too much statistics and facts. I would rather put a human face on, uh, on, on, on these different kinds of abductions because that will go more to the heart and there 
afterwards to the mind of people. But let me just give you um, some facts about human trafficking. Today it's believed that that is the greatest income for criminal organizations all around the world. In 2016, it was believed that these criminal organizations, they made a profit of 150 billion U.S. dollars around the world. Microsoft, Wells Fargo, Samsung, J.P. Morgan, and Apple, they had a net profit the same year combined of 116 billion dollars, million billion dollars. So it says something about the magnitude of human trafficking. And there's not one state in America that is not affected. There's not one, wor- one country in the world that is not affected by human trafficking. And today means that 16-year-old girls, they can step off school buses in Spring, Texas without potentially risking becoming the victim of someone who wants to force them into prostitution. And the way they do it, because I know a lot about human trafficking, I've met a lot of people who are being trafficked, and I've even met traffickers. And I have walked into massage parlors on Lexington Avenue, on Park Avenue in New York. I've done it in West Hollywood. I've done it on South Beach in Miami. And you can walk directly into these massage parlors and meet girls who are forced into prostitution. These places, it's mainly immigrants. But you can also walk into brothels and meet girls who are either runaways taking advantage of or being grabbed in the streets. And the first thing they do is they beat them. They rape them. And then they get them high on drugs to an extent that before they release them to the streets to make money for these human traffickers, they are so addicted to heroin that they have convinced themselves that this is the life they've meant to have. They're so scared of the human traffickers that when they eventually get in touch with law enforcement, they're so scared of revealing their true identity because human traffickers, they often uh, frighten them by threatening to kill their kids, to kill their moms and dads and so on. And if your body has been pumped full of drugs for weeks and weeks, month and month, years and years, then you use your own, you lose your own free will. And, um, as I started out by saying, human trafficking has become such an important type of crime to criminal organization that these uh, criminal organizations, they will do anything to protect the most valuable asset that they have. Well, fantastic. We appreciate you coming on the show. Our guest has been Stephen Howe. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now.
Was it as good for you as it was for me? Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.